We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Sure good to see you guys this evening. Thank you for those of you who are tuning in online. It's good to be in the Lord's house. We, uh, I missed being with you last week, but I know that uh, Jared did such a great job. I love listen, uh, listening on the, the media ministry that we have here at the church, and so I'm very thankful for him and all those that, that fill in when I'm gone. <clears throat> but it's sure good to be back here. We had some time changes from where we went, and you, you go across uh, uh, date lines, and you actually, where we were at, also changed to daylight savings time or, or vice versa while we were there. So I'm not sure what day it is or what time it is, but I know it's sure good to see you guys and, and to, to be with you this evening. <clears throat> As Jared read this passage, we're going to take a break tonight from the wonder years, the miracles, the signs, the works, and the wonders that Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look about Palm Sunday, called Palm Sunday because people cut down branches from trees and laid them down at the foot of the donkey that Jesus was riding on. Uh, the, the message tonight, the title, if you'll think with me as we walk through this passage, is why should I let you in? Have you ever been to a place before you wanted to get in and, and uh, someone said, why should I let you in here? You had to have credentials. You had to have uh, someone that you knew. You had to have a way to get in a ticket. And there's a lot of things set up like that in our world. <clears throat> if you have joined the church here at Denton Bible Church, you've gone through the membership classes, and you know that we asked for a covenant to be signed, an agreement. And it's a covenant for us as the church, and especially the church leaders, of what we will do to pray for you and to, to serve you and to, to be faithful to God's word, to teach you and to, and to encourage you and mentor and, and, and to do everything that we as a church staff should do. But also, you sign a covenant to support the church and all the things that we all as members should do. And you are asked on the bottom of that, if you've ever been in evangelism uh, training before, different scenarios, you are asked what we call diagnostic questions. And one of those is, if you stood before the gates of heaven and you wanted to go in and God asked you this question, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? So I want you to keep that thought in your mind tonight as we go over this passage that, that Jordan read to us. Why should I let you in? Why should God let us into heaven? Why should a church let us in? Why should Jerusalem let Jesus come into Jerusalem in the city? And I think that we'll be blessed by his word tonight. When you come back into the country, Holly and I uh, were blessed to go on a trip. We went to Ireland. I know why it's green there because it rains every day. It rains all day long. They need to bottle that stuff and sell it to the rest of the world. There's plenty of it there. But when you come back in, you go through security. If you've been at airports lately, that's so much fun. Oh, it's so much fun. When you go internationally, you have to come back through customs. And you have to be checked. They have to, they, you have to have proper credentials. They have to look at your passport, that your picture agrees with what you look like. Uh, they have to see paperwork proving what your name is, what your birthday is. You have to have the proper credentials to get back into the country. And there are things in our lives that we must have our paperwork. If you don't have a passport, I was in Israel one time, and we, that's one of the things that they tell you. Don't forget your, pa your passport. Forget your underwear. 
but don't forget your passport. We can get you something else if you need it, but don't forget your passport. We're on a bus driving out of uh, Tiberias, and we go a little way, and a, a man says, oops, I forgot my passport. It's not a happy day. It's not an easy thing to take care of. We just came back from that trip with a whole lot of other people and really met some nice people. And, and we met two Georgia peaches. If they're listening, I want to say hello to them because I told them I would. Kelly and her mom uh, were some people from Georgia. They, they, they just made the trip so much fun. Holly and I ate with them. We laughed so much. So if you guys are, are listening online, God bless you. and It's good to have you with us tonight. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for the first and the last time in his ministry. I say the last time, he's going to enter Jerusalem the last time before Calvary, before he dies. In his ministry, he's walked a thousand days with those disciples. He's taught them. He has wept with them, laughed with them. He has eaten with them. He has performed miracles wherever they went. He has taught them his doctrine in so many ways. During the time of the Passover of what we were, uh, this passage of the setting is, uh, sometimes when it, the Passover is mentioned, it's talking about one day. And that's when the Jewish people were commanded to have the celebration of the Passover meal. They were commanded to do that with all their family. Their children were there. They did that so that they would not forget that God brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, and led them through the wilderness into the promised land. So those children would be able to rehearse that Passover meal. They would know the words. They would know what the father would say during that meal. So sometimes it's talking about one day, but also when it talks about Passover, it could be talking about eight days, the whole week of Passover when all the Jewish men were commanded to come back to Jerusalem. Commentators say, there very possibly could have been at least 600,000 people in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's a little city comparatively to where we live. Possibly 600,000, some commentators say a million, up to two million people returning. So it's a busy place. They are going to eat the meal of the Passover of the Lamb. If you've studied your Bible, the Old Testament, when God was going to lead Israel out of the, the land of bondage in, in Egypt, he commanded them to take a, a lamb that was without a blemish. It, it couldn't have a spot. It couldn't be a broken leg or a, a blind eye. It had, to be, it had to be perfect. And to sacrifice that lamb at the time of the evening sacrifice, take some of the blood and put it over the doorposts of the house where they lived. The death angel was going to come through the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of everyone in the land of Egypt, all the Egyptians and anyone else, unless that angel saw that blood, the firstborn of that family would die. The firstborn of their cattle and their sheep and all their animals. Well, they were not shepherds, but all the other animals, they would die. But when the death angel passed through and he saw the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Sounds like a hymn, doesn't it? When I see the blood. And this Passover meal that the Jews continually ate after that was a remembrance that God passed over their sins. Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. Why should they let him in? Well, before tonight's over, I hope that you realize why they should let him in Jerusalem. When kings come into a city, especially in the Roman time there, 
there was a, a very, very much pomp and circumstance. There would be someone go ahead of them who would be a herald. And that herald would spread the news. This Roman official's coming. Everyone get ready. There would be trumpeters. Holly and I got to have a meal with all the group at the, the state house in Northern Ireland where the, they kept saying where the Queen of England, and then they would stop, uh, the King of England. They're not used to that yet. But when the King of England comes to Ireland, Northern Ireland, this is the, the, the place where he would stay. So we got to go there. And when we got off the bus, they trumpeted us arriving. I think they did that just for me and Holly. I'm not sure. There was 211 other people, but, but there was a trumpeter there that welcomed us in. Well, that was what happened in the Roman days of occupation of, of Israel. They would send a herald, then they would send trumpeters. They would proclaim that a VIP, someone uh, very, very important is going to be passing by, and they'd have a big, big celebration. We would say they would throw out the red carpet. That's what the Jews were expecting of the Messiah. They expected a Messiah to come riding in on a white horse, a stallion that's ready for battle, and he was going to lead a military victory over the Romans, drive them out of the land of Israel. That's what they were waiting for. So every little girl that wondered whether she would be the mother to the Messiah, every one of the, the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees that studied the Scripture wondering when the Messiah would come. They're thinking of a military leader like David. And they're going to get rid of these Romans. There's important things that happen when there's an entrance of a very important person into a city. At her coronation in 1838, Queen Victoria of England wore a crown with giant rubies and sapphires surrounding a 309 carat diamond. I did not buy that for Holly when we got engaged. 309 carat diamond. Her scepter was capped with an even larger diamond cut from the Star of Africa and it weighed 516 and one half carats. She was important and she was going to enter into this office of being the queen of England and at her coronation, they made a big deal of that. Well, Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the, You know what it means? It means the city of peace. What right does he have to go in? Why should they let him in? We'll see. Remember, in this chapter, Jesus has just taught his disciples many parables. He's just spent in this holy week He's just spent time at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. He spent a lot of time in Bethany with them, and they were great friends to Jesus. He had uh, settled an argument between his disciples when they were arguing about who the greatest was. That doesn't ever happen, does it? There were five of us children uh, growing up in my home, and we didn't have to have something to argue about. We could make something up. It was easy to do. And he had just settled an argument about them and told them a little child's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He just healed a blind man. And he leaves Jericho headed toward Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem because it's, it's, it's on a hill. And as he looked, the Bible says, looking over Jerusalem, Jesus began to weep. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. 
I think that tells a lot about our Savior. How often would I have saved all of you people, you Jewish people, if you would have just turned to me and recognized and received me? John chapter 1 says that Jesus came unto his own and his own knew him not. They rejected their Messiah. And God said, okay, he'll be a light to the Gentiles. And you and I are sitting here tonight because the Jews rejected him. And you and I have been granted salvation through a Jewish Messiah. In the first verse that was read to us, it said, when they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. If you've studied your scripture, you realize there's a lot of things that take place at the Mount of Olives, a lot of things. When you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you're about 100 feet higher than the Temple Mount. You can look down and see where Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. You can see where the temple was built. About 100 feet higher as you are standing, you get a panoramic view of the Temple Mount, and it's just beautiful. A Roman military road had been built from Jericho to Jerusalem, and it was about 17 miles long. And the climb, as I mentioned, you go up to Jerusalem, was about 3,000 feet. So that's a pretty good hike. Jesus has just gone through going to Jerusalem. And it says, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately, immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. Every time I read that this time of year, I just realize that if God is in something, he'll provide for it. If God is for something, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can... You know, people say, well, he can open a door. He doesn't even need a door. If God is for something, he'll provide for it. And he had provided someone to have a donkey and her baby, the colt, the foal, ready to give to Jesus. The Bible says in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle, and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's found in Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus, as the Messiah, fulfilled between 300 and 400 messianic prophecies. There's no human that could have ever done that unless he was the Christ. You can see in history, you can see in the scripture, we know that Jesus Christ was born a certain way, lived a certain way, did certain things that had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before that when the Messiah showed up, he would be able to do things. Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know you're from God because no man can do these miracles that you do except God sent him. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that the people of the Old Testament had been looking forward to. It's interesting when we talk about a donkey, we talk about a donkey and then the foal or the, the colt uh, in Mark. This, by the way, this story of the, we call it the triumphal entry, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. It's in all four Gospels. The, the writers of the Gospels add and tell different things from different perspectives. But in Mark, it says, this one that Jesus is going to ride on is a colt in which no one has ever sat. Now, I don't know whether you've ever tried to just go jump on an animal that has not been broken. They don't just say, I'm so glad that you're on my back. 
we're going to have a pleasure uh, time today. It's going to be easy for you. That is unnatural for them. And that colt or that uh, whatever you're trying to ride, some of you might have ridden Bronx before, that it's, they're not happy you're there. They're going to do everything they can to get you off there. But the difference is Jesus is the creator. And what he wills to do, he has power over his creation. What, do you, what happens when you try to shut up a baby animal from its mama? That mama's going to do everything she can to protect that baby. She'll give her own life. She will attack. But in this case, Jesus is going to be allowed to ride on this colt that had never been broken before, showing that he is the Messiah. Everything is in his power and under his control. There's an excited crowd around. Maybe you've been in a parade before and horses aren't used to the noise and, and somebody, you know, a car backfires and off they go. But this beast was ready. Thought, think about that. God knew the little donkey that Jesus was going to ride on. I met a girl one time years and years ago and her cousin had written a song. You can look it up and it's called, He Grew the Tree. That's the title of it. And the words of that song say, he grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. That's how perfect our God is. He provided everything so that you and I can be saved. It's interesting too that it says that he was going to ride on the colt of a, a beast of burden. And that's what donkeys are. They are pack animals. They are, they are used to go up in the mountains or to carry a load, to carry a burden. And isn't that interesting? Jesus is going to ride on not a white stallion at this time, not on a military horse. That's what they were looking for. But he's going to be on a little donkey. <coughs> Excuse me. A beast of burden. I couldn't help but think about that. Jesus would be at Calvary and a matter of hours at that cross. And he would receive upon himself the sins of all mankind. Have you ever seen someone, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, just factual. Have you ever seen someone that's old before, before their time? Some people say, it's not, it's not my age, it's my mileage. Have you ever heard that before? Have you seen somebody that's not taking care of themselves and they've lived a life of rebellion against God and they've done things to their their body they shouldn't do, and they just look old before their time. They look, they look weathered and they look worn because life has been tough and they've made some bad choices to make it that way. Well, Jesus is about to bear the burden of not just one person's life full of sin. How many sins would you have to write down if God said, take out some paper and write down all your sins? I don't know about you. I'd probably have to ask for more paper. But Jesus was going to have all the sins of all men, women, and children of all time put on him. He was going to be the burden bearer in just a few short hours. All of this is symbolic. That donkey, it is a symbol of humility. Jesus is coming in as prophesied hundreds of years before he did in a show of humility, not military might. Now, I do want to remind you, this is not going to be the only time Jesus is in Jerusalem. Have you read Revelation? 
He's coming back again, and he's not coming back on a donkey. He's coming back on that white horse. He's coming back to be the avenger of Almighty God. When I used to read some of the verses in Revelation, I would see and I would read about his robe that had blood on that. And I thought, yes, Jesus shed his blood for us. And it was years before I realized that wasn't Jesus' blood. It was the blood of the enemies of God that God was going to exact his judgment. The people that hated God, that hated God's people, that wanted to kill and steal and destroy. There will be payday someday and Jesus won't be on a donkey that day. But he is today. Why should they let him in, this city of peace? They took their coats off and they laid them down for Jesus to sit on the donkey and to, and to go over. We don't have much chivalry anymore in our country. If you're under 50, turn to somebody else older and ask them what chivalry is. There used to be a time when a man, if a woman was going to have to walk through a mud puddle, a man would take his coat off, throw it over the, the, the mud hole, and let her walk so she wouldn't get her shoes and her feet muddy. In England, there was a certain way years ago that if you were, a man and a woman were walking down the street, it was improper for the man to walk on the inside. The man had to walk on the outside and the woman on the inside. You know why? Because somebody was going to throw their garbage out about two stories high and it was going to fall right down there and the man was the one to take the hit instead of the woman. I do a lot of weddings and when I see those young men and they go and they open that door, I hope my wife's not listening tonight, is she on? Uh, they go and they open that door for their soon-to-be bride. I tell them, well done, well done. When, they, when we treat women with respect, did you know Jesus did that? He was the first to really do that. Societies all over the world today mistreat women. It's wrong. Now, a woman doesn't need to be a man. A man doesn't need to be a woman. That's anti-Christ. Did you know that? That's anti-Christ, and that's where that comes from. Some of the strongest humans on the face of the earth that I know are women. But men, we are called to be men. And we need, to, we need to revive chivalry in its good sense. We need to treat these ladies like they deserve to be treated. They cut down coats. Uh, they put their coats, cut down branches. How many of you grew up in church? And the flower, the flower companies' uh, shops love Palm Sunday because people going by, by the hundreds, those little branches, and, and the children wave. all that. I saw some this morning in church, and I just love that. We did that all the time waving those little branches. And that was a symbol of royalty. It was a symbol of royalty. When you laid down your coat or you laid down a branch for someone to walk over to ride over, it was the same as you saying, I am willing to lay down my body. You ever use that term? Over my, over my body. That's what you were saying. I have so much respect for you that you can ride over or walk over my body if necessary. And that's what they meant when they were laying down those palm branches and laying down their coats. It was a royal procession, pomp and circumstance. Somebody important was there. In the trip that I told you, my wife and I just came back on our flight. It was canceled. Oh, they're all not, not canceled, but delayed. They're almost all delayed now if you've flown recently. But we were delayed for an hour and a half out of the, the airport in Philadelphia. And they just said a VIP was there 
Well, we found out who it was later, and uh, I couldn't believe that they let the president go uh, take off before us. I don't understand why they did that. But there is, there is an honor. Whoever you vote for in our government, and I certainly vote for some, and I certainly don't vote for some other ones, but I pray for them all. I pray for them all. You know, one of the things we were just talking about earlier when uh, um, the current president was elected on Facebook, a lot of people uh, said, okay, I guess we won't see you Christians putting things about you praying for your president anymore. You know what? We ought to pray more. We ought to pray. I pray and honor the office no matter who's in that office. And so why should they let Jesus in? There's a procession, and that's for royalty. That's for VIPs. Let's see why. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them and brought the donkey and the coat and laid their coats on them, and he sat on their coats, and most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. By the way, uh, Palm branches are going to show up again. If you take down notes, write down Revelation 7, 9. John was given visions, and that's where we get the book of Revelation. It's often misquoted and called Revelations. That's not the name of the book. The name of the book is Revelation. And it's also often misquoted and said it's John's Revelation. It's not John's Revelation. It's Jesus' Revelation to the Apostle John. And in the seventh chapter in verse nine, it says this. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Did you catch that? There's not gonna be just one race in heaven. We're all not gonna automatically turn into one color of skin and have one language and we're all gonna look the same. We're gonna be just like we are now. And God commands us. I love the woman at the well story in John chapter four. Jesus is the one who elevated the position of women that was put down in that society. He elevated the position of a different race because a Samaritan was a half-breed. It was mixed race. And, and this woman, when Jesus said, give me something to drink, she was, she was there at noon because she would not be accepted at any other time. It was, she was one of the unapproachables and she had to come in the heat of the day when nobody else was there. And Jesus says, give me something to drink. He was willing to drink out of a cup of a Samaritan. A Samaritan had no dealings with a Jew. A Jew had no dealings with a Samaritan. They all thought they were right and Jesus showed them all they were all wrong. And he said, could I have a drink? She said, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me? a Samaritan, and a woman. We need to be like Jesus. When John saw a picture of heaven, uh, I, I love to tell people in different settings, Jesus was not a white man. Did you know that? I know we've got those little figurines we put out at Christmas time here in, in America. Jesus did not have the same color skin that I have. He did not speak the same language that I speak, but he's my savior. In heaven is going to be a beautiful picture of all races, of all languages, of all tongues. Saved people because of what Jesus did for them. He said he saw all nations, all tribes, all peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and 
palm branches were in their hands. Those palm branches show up again. Jesus, you're still royalty. You're still the VIP. And we're still willing to lay down those palm branches for you. Verse 9 says, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were praising God. Interesting, interesting verse in the Bible. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. To inhabit something means you live there. You dwell there. So when we sing, and I thank Mark and the team and all those that help with our music, when you raise your hands to the Lord, nothing wrong with doing that. We need to raise some holy hands. That's Bible. That's New Testament too. When we do that, the Bible says God inhabits those praises. He lives there. He dwells in those things when it comes from an honest and good heart. They're saying Hosanna. You know what that literally means? It means save us. Some commentators say, save us now. It's asking, are you the Savior? Will you save us now? We're ready for you to save us. And glory to God in the highest. There's none higher than God. We give him all the credit, all the glory. And would you save us now? Hosanna. Remember the people wanted a conquering, reigning Messiah, a military leader. And that's not who they got. They got a humble baby born in a manger in Bethlehem whose daddy, earthly daddy, was a carpenter, a hard-working, blue-collar man, whose mama was a teenager, who was not wealthy. They didn't get what they wanted, but we got what we needed. Jesus didn't come at this time to conquer Rome. He came at this time to conquer sin. And I'm so glad that he did. So why should they let him in? Verse 10 says, when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? I'm convinced that that's a question you and I all have to answer also. Who is this? Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets or the prophet. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? I got to share Christ with many people on our trip this week. Um, they didn't look like me. They didn't speak the same language. And I, I loved them. And God let me share Jesus with, with people, and I just loved doing that. Got to fellowship with other Christians, and they'd tell me about their church, and I'd tell them about you guys. And, and, and uh, it was just so, so rewarding to be able to do that. So be ready when somebody says, who is this Jesus? What's different about you? Be ready to tell them. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And it says, and the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And that's another symbolic of the humility of Christ. You remember what they said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? That's where Jesus came from. And he's the greatest of all. Our message today should be the same. This is Jesus. He's everything. He's everything good in our lives. Everything good about you or me is because of what Jesus has done in us, for us, and through us. That's why he gets the glory. The apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory in anything except the gospel of Christ. I was determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
The psalmist says, if a man comes in his own name, people will follow him. We're not to come in our own name. Even the angels, when they were asked throughout the Bible, angels are majestic creatures that we are in awe of when a human's allowed to see one. Most of the time, humans either fainted or fell down on the ground when they saw an angel. It wasn't those little Mardella, uh, Mardell little fat baby cherubs, you know. It wasn't that. And it wasn't these beautiful women with long flowing hair and these robes. That's never a picture in the Bible. Picture of the angels in the Bible were mighty military men ready to do battle. And when they had asked them over and over throughout the scripture, what's your name? The angels would say, my name doesn't matter. My name doesn't matter. Because they wanted to make sure God got the glory and God got the credit. Men and women, I'm so grateful to be here with you tonight. I do not take for granted the ability that God gives or the privilege to open his Bible. I've been able to do that for over 50 years, over getting closer to the other decade. I don't take it for granted. And on a day like today that we remember Palm Sunday, Jesus going into Jerusalem, I've always wondered why did the crowds praise him in fact, they came and they told the disciples of Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus said, if they did, the rocks, the stones along the road would cry out. Isn't that cool? If these people were quiet, creation's gonna cry out loud. And I wondered, on this day, Sunday, the crowds are singing Hosanna. And a few days later, they're, they're saying crucify him. Thought about that a lot. And one of the things that I do believe very strongly is that God was going to have Jesus honored in this triumphal entry and nothing was going to stop it. If you want a good study, go study about King Saul when he was chasing David. He's asking where David is and he, some people would say he was here. He'd already left there and he's going and Saul is going to kill David. And everywhere he goes, he's going to kill David. But as he gets closer, David and these other men are prophesying before, before the Lord. They're having church. And Saul's going there with the intent to stop it. And the Bible says when Saul got close to where David was, something changed in him. And he started prophesying too. God wasn't going to let the bad guy stop the good thing that was going on. I had a pastor when I was a teenager and uh, just got to reconnect with him, and I love him, and I'm thankful for him. And when he shared his testimony, he went to LSU. Any LSU fans here tonight? He had heard about this guy named Billy Graham that was going to preach in their stadium, and he said, I'm going. I've heard that they, he asked for people to come forward at the end of the services. I'm going, and I'm going to tear it up. I'm going to disrupt that meeting. And he had his leather jacket on, he said, I am ready. I am going with the intent. I am going to put on a show and just disrupt what this man is all about. And he said he sat through that and Billy Graham's preaching and he can't wait till him to get through, start singing just as I am because he's going to run down that aisle and make the biggest show mocking Christianity ever was. And he said, as the sermon went on, all of a sudden he heard something that really affected him and then he heard something else and all of a sudden there's something happening on the inside of his heart and 
And God starts dealing with his heart. And by the time it was ready for just as I am, Jeff Gilmore, my former pastor, he went down the aisle and he went forward, but he went with a humble heart and tears in his eyes. And there was something disrupted that day, but it was the heart in a sinful man. And he's preached the gospel for five decades after that. Isn't that a good story? There's times when God said, I'm not going to let the bad guys stop the good that's going on. And God was going to have his son praised as he entered Jerusalem. I have to remind you of something as we get ready to get to the end of this. I have to remind you that Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a death march. The little beautiful baby of Christmas time in the manger, away in the manger, was born to die. Because you see, we all had a disease. It was a blood disease, not a physical disease, but it was a blood disease called sin. And I could have offered to die for you, but my, my life is known sin and God couldn't accept my life because it's sinful. You could have offered to die for me. We could have offered to die for the sins of the whole world, but God couldn't accept it because we've known sin. <clears throat> there had to be that lamb without a blemish. There had to be somebody come to this earth, be born uh, of a woman to never sin, to reject temptation his whole life, and to be willing with a perfect sacrifice to offer himself. I want to ask you the question, would you do what God did? I've always thought about Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain. And God said, take your little boy, your only son Isaac, that's what he called him, that you love. Take him up there on the mountain and sacrifice him for me. I cannot even fathom what that would be like. Abraham has got his boy Isaac, probably a young teenager, and they're carrying the rope and the wood. He's been with his daddy before, and they've done sacrifices. In fact, Isaac asked him, Lord, uh, uh, Dad, where, where is, where's the lamb? And Abraham just says, God will provide a lamb. God will provide a lamb. And they get up there on that temple mound and, and Abraham fixes all the wood for that sacrifice. Then he picks his boy up and he puts him on that wood and ties him on there. We don't have any record of his son being a disrespectful teenager and screaming at his dad saying, what are you doing? Because he trusted his dad. And God's asking Abraham to do something that no man could even fathom doing. And Abraham raises a knife. Abraham had to believe in the resurrection because God had promised through this boy Isaac, you're going to have descendants like the sand of the seashore and like the stars of heaven. But I'm telling you, kill him. Is God saying two different things? No, God's able to do anything he said. He was testing the faith of Abraham and Abraham raised a knife. And before he could drop the knife on his own son, God cried out and said, wait, stop. God didn't want Abraham to hurt his son. Holly and I had a baby 32 years ago. You notice how I said that, Holly and I had the baby. <laughs> My wife is tough. She worked hard having this baby. Ten days after he was born, blood showed up in his diaper. We go to the emergency room, and the doctor said, we have to send you to Cook's Children's Medical Center. 
there could be this disease, and he named it. It's very bad. There was a storm that night, and we couldn't fly the helicopter, so they had to send an ambulance. Maybe you've been there before. Or maybe you've even gone through much worse than we experienced that night. But I want to tell you, a 10-day-old little baby who was, I was his dad and responsible for him, and I was helpless. I was powerless. For four days, he stayed in the neonatal intensive care, and I saw doctors and nurses. I honor them. They are awesome people. I saw little babies that would fit in the palm of your hand. Have you seen that before? They'd already had heart surgery at two days old. And I saw our baby, about nine pounds over there. He looked, he, he looked full grown compared to those other little ones. And I looked at my wife and she looked at me and we were willing to do whatever it took. But we're brand new parents. We don't know what to do. All we know to do is pray. And I went in one of those bathrooms at Cook's Children's Medical Center, and I locked the door, and I got down on my knees. And I remember lifting my hands up like I was holding that little baby. And I said, God, I've got to pray a prayer that I can't pray. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to tell people to follow Jesus in the hard times, and here I am, we're in that. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer for me that I can't pray. And I remember saying, dear Lord, this baby is yours. If he comes out of this hospital alive, I'm going to praise you. If he does not come out of this hospital alive, I'm going to praise you either way. I said in Jesus' name, amen. I didn't feel any different. Unlocked the door, went and got my wife. I'm holding her hand, walking down the hall of that hospital. And four surgeons come walking straight toward us. It looked like, uh, what is that? Uh, high noon or tombstone that movie where they're going to have a shootout in the street they don't have a smile on their face one of them says are you the spencers and i said yes and i heard words from a doctor that i don't ever want to hear the first thing this doctor the surgeon said we've done all we can for your son i respectfully know that some of you have been through those things and much worse maybe people listening online and I don't mention this story to bring any hard times to you. But that doctor said, we've done all we can for your boy. And then he said, and we can't find anything wrong with him. Take him home and feed him. Can you imagine what our heart was feeling? Because I'd already prayed a hundred times, God let me die, save that boy's life. Holly, my wife, had already prayed, take my life and you let that little boy die. You let, that, you let that boy live and you take my life and I'll die. And this doctor said, take him home and feed him. He's hungry. So we were so overjoyed. He's 32 years old now. He's played the piano like Tony in churches since he was four years old. That's when he started. He loves the Lord. And now he's a daddy. You know what's so much fun right now? He's hearing the words come out of his mouth that he heard come out of my mouth. And he didn't like it when I said it to him. But now he's saying those same things to his little boy. We got to see him yesterday and I'm just thrilled. But you know what I learned from that lesson? God didn't want Abraham to hurt Isaac. He didn't want him to hurt him. And he didn't choose for our son to have that disease that he was talking about or else he healed him. But he wanted Abraham to know a father's love. And I believe he let us go through that in our family because I needed to know a father's love that'd be willing. 
Holly needed to know a mother's love to be willing to lay down her life fully for that little baby. But it was just as God was saying, I didn't want Abraham to kill his son. and I didn't want your son to die either. But I want you to know something. I didn't stop the knife on my son. I didn't stop the disease on my son. I gave Jesus. Could you do what God did? <laughs> I couldn't. He gave Jesus to die in your place and in my place. We don't need to wait till Good Friday to worship him this week. We need to worship him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Good Friday is the best Friday. I know you're going to hear because their sermon's been passed down on Friday. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Well, I'm going to start here. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. Because this was a death march. But I want to conclude by answering the question I've asked you all night. Why should I let him in? Why should Jerusalem let Jesus in? Because the city of peace needed the Prince of Peace. And that's who Jesus was. He is peace. He has made peace with God through the blood of the cross. That's how God can look at you and say, they're good. They're good. You know those places that you tried to get in before and they wouldn't let you in until somebody knew you and they say, they're with me. I went to Marine Barracks 1 in Washington, D.C. Jefferson started that one. And we got to go to watch the Commandant's Parade and everywhere we went, you know how I got to go in? It was because I wasn't important, but the people I were with, was with were important. And everywhere we went, they would just salute. I loved it. I've never been in the military, but I sure like getting saluted. Because this captain was saying, they're with me. They're with me. You know how we're going to get to heaven? Not because of anything we've done. Jesus is going to say, they're with me. They're with me. Why should they let Jesus in? I'll tell you why. Because he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Proto-Evangelion, the first time the gospel is preached of Genesis. He is the Passover lamb of Exodus and the deliverer. He is the perfect sacrifice of Leviticus, all those sacrifices. I could go on through every book of the Bible. We don't have the time to do that tonight. Jesus was the Savior of mankind. He is our Savior because we needed a Savior. He could go into that city because he was the Son of Almighty God. Don't let the cults tell you that Jesus was, was uh, not God. He was the Son of Almighty God. Jesus could go into Jerusalem because he was our propitiation. Propitiation means that God satisfied with what Jesus did. He was our expiation. He made atonement. He paid the price for your sin and mine. He was our imputation. God took our sin and put on Jesus and took Jesus' righteousness and puts on us when we're saved. He was the substitutionary atonement. He was the fulfillment of all scripture concerning the Messiah. You know why they could let him in? Because he was everything that was good and right about God. And the triumphal entry was just that. It's time for the king to come into town. And I just want to encourage you. We're going through some tough times in our country right now. We're going through some tough times in our world. You young people, don't give up. When you hear us old people talk about, oh, the good old days, there was just some good things about it. We're just trying to forget all the bad stuff that was in too. 
There's some good days ahead if you keep following Jesus. But Jesus came into Jerusalem that day and he's coming back again. He's promised, I'm not going to leave my church. I'm coming back. When you're asked that question, why should I let you into heaven? I saw a great video a few days ago and I'm going to ask Nate to play it as we close here tonight. It's not because we're good, not because anything we've done. Watch this video. And this week, think about this as you go wherever you go on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Tell Jesus how much you love him. It was a triumphal entry. And the moment you got saved, you asked Jesus in your heart, was that not a triumphal entry? It was. Watch this. If you were to die today and found yourself standing before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer? If you answer that and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did you? Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Think I'll get the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the man on the middle cross. Because we were those two thieves, murderers, sinners dying next to Jesus. Our sin is what caused everything that Jesus went through. But you had mercy on those that have called out. And as that man would turn to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus was so ready to save. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And he was. Men and women and young people here tonight, I want to tell you, Jesus is so ready to save. 
You can't get the words out of your heart tonight if you've never trusted in him before he'll say yes. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is ready to save. <coughs> the Bible says that he came to seek and to save them that were lost. The greatest search and rescue mission the world's ever known. He searched for us. He knows where you are that are listening online. He knows where we are in this room tonight. He knows that where people are in this city and the cities all around us, all over the world. And he's searching for us. He's calling out to us. He's, he wants to save. And this week as we celebrate Jesus' last week as an earthly human being before he went to Calvary and died, you think about what he did. They had to let him in Jerusalem because he was the king. They don't have to let me into heaven. But Jesus will say, he's with me. So I'll tell you what, I've got every reason in the world to praise him, to honor him, to thank him, to obey him. The next time I'm tempted to do something I shouldn't do, I've got every reason in the world to say, Lord, help me not do that and turn to you. Help me to be a better father, a better husband, a better churchman, a better neighbor. Help me to be a better friend because you deserve it all. And Father, I just pray that this week in all of our lives, we would honor the Messiah, the one who paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And when we get to that entryway into that heavenly kingdom and someone might ask us, why should I let you in? Our answer would just be Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, I would run to the front of this church after I say amen. We can't save you, but we can sure pray with you. And the same Jesus that saved that man on the cross is here in this place tonight and he can save you. Thank you, Father, for what Jesus has done. In his name we pray.